Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. Recently, I read an expression that I've actually heard many times in my life, but I had never taken the time to think about it. And the expression is, I bet my left nut. Now, for those of you who don't know what the nut is in this case, it's not an actual almond or pecan or some other flavorful nut that would bring you essential fatty oils and a good source of protein. No, what they're referring to is a slang term for the human testicle. And in this case, specifically, their own left human testicle. And I was just wondering, if this was a bet, and they bet their left nut, and they lost and I won, and I got their left nut, what am I supposed to do with that? Because I don't really want your left nut, so as far as bets go, it's not a very good one for me, the recipient of the left nut. And I understand that your left nut is valuable to you, and therefore has some value, but... Once it's removed from your body and is given to me, I actually don't have any need for it or want, and therefore it has no value to me. So just as far as betting goes, this is not a very sensible expression, and I think it should be changed. Now, I don't have an alternative, but it's really simple. It should be something that's both valuable to me and valuable to you, and thus would make a valuable bet. That's sort of the fundamental premise of this expression. So we should use something that is valuable to two people at the same time for this expression. Like, I would bet, oh, I don't know, a large sum of money. I've been writing for the internet for a bunch of years now, and I'm very happy about it. It's a very good, fun thing to do. If you ever get a chance to do it, I would recommend it. An article I read yesterday actually said, we'd make a something joke, but I won't because you, the reader, deserve better. So they're saying, like, we'd make a sex joke, but I won't, or we'd make a dirty joke, or we'd make a funny joke, but we won't, because this joke is too easy, so we won't make it. You, as the listener, deserve better. Let me tell you, as someone who's been on the other side of that screen, someone who's actually typed out the sentences and some of the jokes, the real thing they're saying is, I can't think of a good joke, because... An obvious joke can still be funny if it's placed correctly within the structure of the sentence or the article itself. But what's happening is the author has thought of a joke and then realized it's not a very good joke and then abandoned the joke. But they still have to fill up that space. And so what they're saying is, you can think of some better jokes than I can. I'm going to let you do that and also give myself credit for being self-aware which is something I now pretty much assume I'm going to write in my next article. So the next time I write something and I have a joke and I think, oh, that's not a very good joke, instead of writing a statement like this, I'd make a dirty joke, but you can do that yourself. Or I'd make a dirty joke, but you deserve better. I'm actually just going to write, I actually know a dirty joke could be inserted in this space, but I actually am not capable at the moment. You perhaps might be able to come up with a better one that's more entertaining to you. And really, that's what we all want here. For a question, 
Why is Canada known as a nice country when it's not even close to it? And I have to admit, actually, again, this isn't really a question. It's more of a statement put into question form. But really, the statement is true. Canada is not close to a nice country. It's close to the United States. And that is incredibly unfortunate. Uh, pretty much every Canadian probably laments that every day. We are not anywhere close to Denmark which, as everyone knows, is the single nicest country that has ever existed. There is just a sense of joy and pleasure whenever someone is really just in Denmark. Not like you're in Luxembourg. You feel like you're in a gentle lover who has held you through the worst times in your life, wiped away your tears, and just brought you up from being a worse person to someone who's way better. So I, yeah, in this case, I'm going to have to agree. Canada is not close to a good country. It's close to America. Did that last segment sound a little weird to you? Because it should have, because I'm such a moron that when I actually chose the country, I didn't choose a country, I chose Luxembourg, which is a city. So I had to go and edit in a country, and it's like one of the dumbest things I've ever done because the tone is just totally off. But I figure, you know, there's no curtain here, so you can just look into the whole process and at least know what's going on. That is why that sound is so weird, basically because I'm dumb. So the core question this week is, why can't the producers of 007 cast Jason Statham as James Bond since he's British and good with driving? The author of this question what they're actually saying is, I think Jason Statham would be a good 007, a good James Bond in a movie. Why doesn't anyone else agree? Or why haven't I seen that happen yet? Because the question goes with a false premise. The premise being that for some reason they can't. The producers of 007 are perfectly capable of casting Jason Statham. They just don't want to. And the reason they don't want to is the fundamental problem is that Jason Statham is not a very good actor. Now, you might not think that the James Bond character requires a great deal of acting, but comparative to the roles that he's taken on, The Transporter, that's the only movie I can think of right now. I'm Oh, wait, there's that crank one where he has to restart his heart or something every five minutes. Didn't see that one. And as a side note, I've seen a whole bunch of his movies. Like, I've actually watched a lot of films that he's in. I cannot remember, oh wait, he's the bad guy in the Fast and the Furious for a while and then became a good guy? That makes sense. Really, the problem, the fundamental problem, is that Jason Statham is not a good actor. And that's why no one who's going to put as much money as they put into a 007 movie is going to think of this sort of second-rate actor as a really sensible choice for the franchise. You might disagree with Daniel Craig, but if you actually go look at Daniel Craig's history of movies, most of them are pretty good. He was the boyfriend in the Tomb Raider movie, which wasn't very good, I have to admit that. But I think that was more of a cash grab. I don't think anyone signed on to the Tomb Raider movie thinking this is going to be an artistic masterpiece. But it did show that he was at least functional as an actor. Then there's other movies like Layer Cake where he's actually quite good. And here's the most important part, does some acting. Because I've never seen Jason Statham do anything other than be Jason Statham in a movie. And I don't actually know if he's good with driving because I'm pretty sure they use stunt drivers in all the movies he's in anyways. Although, okay, I will give you he's British, but I'm betting his accent, his British accent, isn't even the right accent they're looking for when it comes to a James Bond character. When I came to Japan, 
there was a monkey on TV a lot. He was called Pan Kun. And Pan Kun was basically famous because he was really capable of doing any task that he was given. So they would give him tasks uh, that were very human-like and it was very entertaining. It's one of those things where they basically anthropomorphized an animal to be human. Uh, then later on, when he got really famous, they actually gave him a bulldog and he would take care of the bulldog and they would go around and do stuff. He's off TV now and my understanding is he actually turned on a trainer. You can sort of lay a character onto a monkey, but you're actually not changing the base thing that is a monkey. And a monkey, no matter how well it trained, can make decisions. And sometimes those decisions are, I want to rip the face off the person who's next to me. But that is not the only example of monkeys being famous in Japan. Now for this story and this is a true story, you have to go back to about the mid-1970s in Japan. So I was only a baby at that time. I wasn't really conscious of the world around you. So most of the people who listen to this podcast I know are actually younger than me, and they probably have no idea what the 70s was like. It was a wild time. Uh, what you have to do is go watch the movie The Warriors, and that is exactly what the 70s was like all over the world. doesn't matter what country you were in. Uh, there were warriors come out to play, yay! And that gives you a sense of what was going on in the 70s. This is a story of Oliver the monkey. So Oliver was a monkey. I believe he was in the circus in America and he came over to Japan and he got relatively famous. And he got famous because of his human-like features. So he didn't do anything particularly human-like like Pankun did. He just looked more human than most monkeys. And I, it's really hard to find a picture of Oliver the monkey. So that's actually really hard to confirm. It might be that they just shaved him or did something. I mean, there's no real way to know. But apparently he was one of these relatively smart monkeys. And he did a lot of human things. Again, things he was trained to do. So everyone thought this was amazing. This is the smartest monkey in the world. The monkey, oh my God, it's just like a human being. And he gets famous when he comes to Japan. Now Japan, you think it's a weird place now. Back in the heyday of the 70s and 80s, it was one of the weirdest places ever. There was a press conference suddenly arranged. And in that press conference... It was stated quite openly that a woman was going to mate with Oliver the monkey in an attempt to produce a hybrid baby. And since Oliver was so human anyways, it was just going to be like having sex with another human and the baby would surely be born and be the smartest monkey-human hybrid ever. Now let's not get into all the problems that could occur, all the things that could go wrong, or all the actual problems of this as a theory. You can see, since they're having a press conference and throwing that out to the general public, that they have already figured who cares about the actual results. What we care about is big numbers on TV, getting lots of attention. It was said that a woman, a fairly young and attractive talent, had already volunteered for the job. Now this is where the story starts to get really fuzzy because Previous to this, a TV station actually offered 10 million yen in 1976 yen to, to mate with Oliver the monkey. Now, 10 million yen, even back then, was a lot of money. It was like $100,000, maybe probably more, so maybe $150,000 or $200,000. But it's not like enough to set you up for life. You wouldn't be like golden from that point on. And if this experiment is successful, you now have a human hybrid monkey baby that you probably have to take care of because I'm pretty sure Oliver isn't going to be held responsible for getting a job and bringing in the cash funds. So that is a pretty momentous decision for someone to make. And the fact that they got someone who was 19 years old and very attractive makes it somehow even more suspicious because clearly she had other options. She didn't have to have sex with a monkey to get her life going again because her life was just getting started in the first place. 
not surprisingly, the sexual intercourse in this situation did not actually happen. But it is very confusing, and this is where the story gets super fuzzy, as to why not. Because up to that point, everything had already been confirmed. The monkey was there, the girl was on board, the money was set up, she was going to get paid, they were going to have a beautiful hybrid baby, everything was ready. So there are three versions of the story from this point. First, they said that they were having a press conference and they didn't have someone to actually be the volunteer, so they just found someone who was in the building, so there's going to be actors and actresses and talents and singers and stuff around a TV station office building, so they just grabbed the first girl they could find, brought her into the conference and had her sit there. She probably thought she was going to sit there and pretty up the place, but then they said she had volunteered to fornicate with this monkey, which she might have smiled and agreed to on camera because she wants to keep her jobs, but then as soon as they're off camera, she's like, no, I'm not having sex with a monkey. That's just ridiculous, which is a very reasonable story to my mind. This actually makes a lot of sense. It seems like something a company would do if they were in trouble because they'd said something stupid and now we have to actually kind of prove it. And then I don't think anyone's going to hold you to the standard of actually having to go through with having sex with a monkey. I think if anyone backed out of this situation, everyone would be like, yeah, well, of course. There's not going to be any sort of backlash against not having sex with Oliver the monkey. Then there was number two. And number two was she was a child of divorced parents and what she wanted to do was basically get back at them. So she was going to do the worst thing she could think of and the worst thing she could think of was to have sex with a monkey. Which is actually demonstrating that broken homes really do mess up kids if that's how you think you're really going to get back at your parents. Because I would just take all their money. I mean, I think the most messed up thing you could do would actually be just take all their money and let them go broke and then live really well when not help them out. Then... There was the third version of the story, which she was really serious about having sex with Oliver the monkey, and her family was really supportive of having sex with Oliver the monkey, and they were really interested in getting all that money, which, you know, fair enough, that is probably why they're doing it. I don't think the woman and Oliver had had a romantic relationship or any interest before that. So this was primarily a financial transaction, but the police stepped in and said that this is not legal. So I don't know about the bestiality laws in Japan in the 1970s. I don't even actually know about the bestiality laws in Japan in 2018 when I'm recording this. I'm pretty sure they're on the no side. I haven't looked them up because, again, to my mind, you don't need to look up bestiality laws. You just sort of know you're not supposed to do it. When a country or a community has to start making bestiality laws, you actually have some different problems going on that you need to take care of. But then there's the final question, and the question that, of course, never got answered, which is, what if she volunteered? So this is, let's say it's completely voluntary. She really actually wants to go through this, maybe for the sake of science. They want to see what happens. So she goes through with the act, and she has sex with Oliver the monkey, and she actually gets pregnant. And then she actually gets pregnant and has a baby, a hybrid monkey-human baby. And that baby is alive and well. That, to me, would actually be the worst-case scenario. This is a situation where success is maybe the worst thing that could happen. So I sit there and wonder, what if it worked? What if they actually ended up with this monkey-hybrid baby? Because there's only two ways it could go. One, it becomes a really cool, interesting, maybe fashionable thing to do. And people start having hybrid babies more often. And we end up with a whole other sort of class or genus of human being. I don't want to say class as in they're a lower class, but I mean a different class. So maybe genus is a better word. We have this whole other offshoot of the human species. Or this 
poor hybrid baby has to grow up in a society where everyone thinks it's just a weird freak of nature. No one wants to love or take care of it because it's just alien to us as a concept. And that's where the story fizzles out. There is no more information because it's one of those things where they set it up and it never happened. So that's the end of the story. But in the pantheon of bad ideas, I think you need to remember if the success of your idea turns out to be a science fiction, horror, terrifying thing, maybe that's not the best idea. In fact, if anything would make a good science fiction movie, then it's probably not something you should be trying to do in real life. In science fiction, they're always trying to bring back the dead. Now, don't do that. It's not a good idea. They're always trying to go through a portal to another dimension. It never works out, especially when they open a portal to hell. That's like the worst portal you could open. So just keep in mind, when your ideas get science fiction-y enough that success means the end of the world, you might not want to do it. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Recently I was on the internet, well, I guess I'm always kind of on...